The problem with those challenges that ended up breaking us was they would never get better had we done more business. The more people that come in, the more water you use, the more burgers you sell, the more gas you use. Like it didn't matter what we did or how many people we fed or how many people we sat or how many you know glasses of wine we sold in the back. It wouldn't have changed. This is Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurant kitchens. I'm Katie Osuna. And this... Hi, Katie. How are you? Hey, Katie. How's it going? Can you hear us okay? Is Alex McCreary and Jenny Goodman. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jenny Goodman. I'm a co-founder of Tillit NYC. And I'm Alex McCreary and also a co-founder of Tillit NYC. Tillit is a chef and restaurant workwear brand with all these high quality, modern and stylish uniforms for industry folks. Alex and Jenny started the brand in 2012. They were both originally from the industry. Alex, a chef who'd done private chefing and opened a place, and Jenny was front of house. Before they started a really successful workwear brand, though, they opened a restaurant in Brooklyn called Goods. But the thing about Goods is that it failed. So in this episode, I'm talking with Jenny and Alex about what happened to Goods to make it go so wrong and what they learned from that experience. Jenny's brother lived across the street from an empty lot that was in, you know, soon to become a very prime area of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And so he quickly snatched up a a lease on the lot and then started to work backwards to figure out what him and his business partner would do with it. And when they decided to do a restaurant, they came to me to do the cooking side, right? Because I was in the family and knew that, you know, had that strength and and was ready for it. And so we worked our way through how we were going to build our dream restaurant, basically. They snatched up the lot as quickly as possible and started working backwards from there. But they soon realized that building on it was not going to be as simple as they thought because... The lot rested above a subway terminal. Which meant they couldn't actually dig to build a foundation for a building without going through a whole bunch of extra permitting and bureaucracy. Not wanting to do that, they decided to do something with a little less infrastructure. We had this plan to do a shipping container, you know, like a stack of like six shipping containers with a a courtyard in the middle of it. And that idea became fairly quickly nixed when we realized how expensive that would be. (laughs) Since that wasn't going to work and they still didn't want to invest too much time and money, they decided to go an even less permanent route. We bought, I think it was 1957 Spartan, which is, you know, big, beautiful, you know, airstreamy looking silver beast. Um, there was a, there's a separate kind of license that you can have in New York, uh, which is much easier to attain for a food truck is one that is actually sitting on your own property. So you don't drive around the city. You don't have to deal with any of the other things. And it's much easier to get one. You can just, you know, go through the process. That seemed like the right way to go. Less permits, less infrastructure, less time and money. And from there, the project went pretty quickly. So 
So we probably took a lease in the space sometime in 09. Took about. I don't remember exactly. It took nine months to build the trailer. And then we opened the doors. They opened in the spring of 2010. And we closed just before Christmas. And by Christmas of 2010, they were closed. All in all, the whole process from getting the lease to closing the restaurant didn't take more than 18 months. I like to say we're the fastest restaurateurs. <laughs> Good spin on it. On the block. We're the fastest restaurateurs on the block. Where the truck was is on the corner of Metropolitan and Lorimer in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and there wasn't a ton of stuff there. Specifically, not what we were doing, which was like high quality, sort of fast, casual food. And there was really just like sit down restaurants or like your neighborhood bodega because it was an up and coming area. So we were an affordable price point, relatively fast, and it was a cool looking, you know, truck and and like oh, who doesn't love an outside patio? So the initial reception was super warm. You know, we had put together a, a good team that we were happy with. Um, we got a decent amount of good press coverage without having a PR team. Uh, we had, you know, local support. And we had, you know, we had a line outside the door. In a, in a lot of ways, that blinded us to realizing that there was a problem faster. They were so busy that not only did they not realize they had a problem until it was too late, but it also just made the problems worse and worse. You know, you always think that like the hardest part of opening a restaurant and being successful is getting people to come in and to be busy, right? And in this case, it, that was not the hardest part. I mean, that's certainly something that we had worked hard on because we knew wine, we knew beverage, we knew how to sell that. We knew, I, we knew good food and people loved the food. We had great coffee. Like people loved all of those components. Um, but that's that's 100% not the whole program. The biggest problems they ran into all came back to running what was essentially a mobile business, even though it wasn't actually moving. There was no uh, plumbing in the lot. There was no gas in the lot. Those two things were, you know, it was like, okay, well, we can work around that, right? We can, you know, we get a giant wastewater tank and we have a fresh water tank above the truck and we bring water in, we bring water out. Uh, we get propane, you know, just the way you would have with a f mobile food truck and you bring gas in, you have empty tanks go out, but that is also very, very expensive. And when you're, you know, deciding these things on the fly as a reaction to something not working and then just going with it and, you know, trying to work your way around it after you've committed to this doesn't always work. Yeah, I think the, yeah, there's a lot of lessons learned there. I mean, sometimes in business, I think think like there's opportunities that present themselves and you're like, I've always wanted to do this. It's a great opportunity. But then, you know, you, it, it sh we should have had a plan from the beginning, I think is where we fell short. And then I think in business, again, you know, things don't always go the way that we want them to go at Tillit and you have to pivot slightly or with any business and you have to pivot slightly, but there's pivoting slightly and then having to like reverse engineer something to make it work for a business decision that you made when you probably shouldn't have made that decision. And I think that's really what we've learned. I think we saw, I think we saw an opportunity, we jumped on it and then we just like started finding ways to make things work. And, and to be fair, Jenny's brother had had a, a couple of recent businesses and had a lot of success working in that way. And his businesses were very different than the hospitality industry too, because there's different costs in this industry that you don't have when you're running a different kind of business. We didn't plan for that and we didn't have enough cash reserves in the bank to, to like 
you know, get to that nine month break even point where most people, you know, try to get to in their first year of business. Um, so that was just, we didn't have that much cash available and it was poor planning on that side too. The main problem was that they never had a set plan before they started. They were looking just a few weeks ahead, trying things out in the hopes that it would solve the most immediate problem. In the meantime, they were burning through cash without any idea of how much they needed coming in in order to balance the money going out. The problem with those challenges that ended up breaking us was they would never get better had we done more business. The more people that come in, the more water you use, the more burgers you sell, the more gas you use. Like it didn't matter what we did or how many people we fed or how many people we sat or how many you know glasses of wine we sold in the back, it wouldn't have changed. So a few months into owning what was supposed to be their dream restaurant, they were trying to keep up with demand while also trying to patch holes as they lost money to their operating costs. And that's where it got really tricky, having conversations with employees, vendors, and partners about money. And when your business partners are also your family and things aren't going well, the conversations get even harder. More on that after the break. In the spring of 2019, I helped open a few different restaurants within the span of a couple months. You know, the usual process of recipe testing, ordering, frantically working with contractors to get the kitchen built out, and then the dreaded hiring process. We were always up against deadlines and understaffed, and I didn't know how we were going to pull it off. Paired is how we pulled it off. Paired is an app where you, as a kitchen manager or chef, post shifts that you need people for, and Paired fills those shifts with vetted, qualified restaurant professionals. They match people with similar experiences or backgrounds to make sure you get someone who can handle the work you need done. At one of the restaurants I helped open, we were using three Paired pros a night to help us get through opening, and many of them were so great we ended up hiring them full time. Paired is a great tool to give you peace of mind, whether for a, my dishwasher just called out Friday night, or a weekly shift you've had a hard time hiring for. I would highly recommend giving it a try. To get started with Paired and save 30% off your first shift, visit Paired.com copper, or use the offer code copper during booking. That's P-A-R-E-D.com copper. In the summer and fall of 2010, Goods was losing money under a huge burden of operational costs. And as that gap between money coming in and money going out got larger and larger, the owners had to put in more money. Without any other investors or capital, that meant Jenny's brother and his business partner, plus Jenny and Alex. What was the like investment or funding model for Goods? <laughs> <laughs> the funding model the was fun how much cash is in your pocket <laughs> and how much cash is in your pocket. Yeah. All right, give it all to us. <laughs> we drained our I savings. I think we we all started with a particular amount. I think Jenny's brother and his partner were the bigger share. They put a, a big chunk of money in, and we put in everything that we had, and and we also balanced you know sweat Some equity. Sweat equity. I was yeah. running the kitchen every day. Um, and then as it came time for more, we tried to keep that percentage break going for, right? So if, if they were going to put in 70% then, and we needed another 10 grand, then we had to cough up three grand at that time. So um, otherwise we would get diluted a little bit. And so we 
we tried we tried to stick with that and then at the very at the end it was like i'm not putting any more money in and it's like oh well i've got this much money in my pocket <laughs> like i'll literally put take this money out of my pocket and give it to you and yeah i mean that, that, that's definitely the memories that that i try to block out is 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 <laughs> yeah. the group of us you know sort of all leaning on each other to put more money in right and we were all like stretched we were tired. We've been, been work, you know, trying to make this thing work in every different kind of way. And again, you know, we felt like we were being received well and we were busy. And so it was like, why, how the hell is this not really working? And why do I have to put more money in? That should be, <laughs> we should at least be, be doing okay at the moment. Um, and I, I do remember that those conversations were really, really hard. And obviously that came to a head when, you know, all, all, all of us said we're not, we're not putting any more money in. <laughs> We're done. Eventually, they had to call it. And Jenny was the one who stepped up to spearhead that conversation. <laughs> it was like my, my future husband and my and my brother. So I really don't think I had much of a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I just, I didn't see a way out of it. You know, I think that like, except for just, hey, look, let's just cut, cut the losses. Um, it was easier to walk away in some sense. And I think there's this thing in business where it's like, oh, we've sunk this much money. We've sunk this much money. It's the sunk, we call it the sunk cost fallacy. And, you know, so keep on putting in more money to make it work. But at some point you have to say, that's actually, it's a fallacy. It's never going to work. So just walk away. So they did. The whole process is pretty tough for me. And I don't, t- I don't talk about that side of it a lot, but it's like I spent my whole career building up to opening a restaurant and to see it just kind of go down the tubes so quickly over a project like this, which in the end ended up being, you know, this fast casual burger joint, breakfast joint. And it was just like, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty crushing, you know, so it, it, it's it's hard and, and it, it's impressive to see other people that bounce up and do things, you know, quickly because it, it's, that was, you know, that's a pretty big, um, that was a pretty big hit for me to like, to, to have your career end in such an abrupt way. At the time it was super painful. There was a lot of tears shed. We closed like right before Christmas. And I remember like crying the whole time at Christmas that year. Cause it, it's embarrassing. You know, you're like, oh my God, we tried this thing and it didn't work. And all of our friends and family have come out to support us. And it's like, you're open and closed in a minute. So it, it you know, there's, I think there's a lot of like shame and embarrassment when you fail at something. But I also think there's like something to be said for celebrating second acts and bouncing back really quickly and you know and I think as long as you're a good person and you bounce back if people will continue to support you and it's okay to talk about those failures but while it's all happening it sucks and I do feel like less ashamed of like sharing a failure story because I have been through it and I think that we live in this like glossy age of we only put our best selves forward on Instagram and on you know on social media and on whatever platform you're sharing but that isn't always the case you don't necessarily learn through all those glossy images. It's also easier when you've rebounded and are doing well to, to be able to talk about your previous <laughs> That's failures. true, too. <laughs> it would be a lot harder if we were, you know, still back in, back as a line cook or something 10 years later and, you know, your, your dream had washed away. So in 2011, Alex went back to private chefing, and Jenny had started a career in pharmaceuticals. In the end, one of Jenny's brothers found a buyer for goods and they were able to get a little bit of money back. One of my brother's business partners found a buyer and they, you know, took 
bought the business again at a loss. Um, so we didn't recoup all of our investment or even close to all of the investment, not to mention all the blood, sweat and tears that went (laughs) into it. But we did, you know, come out with a little bit of capital back and we were fortunate to have, have sold the business. And now there is a restaurant that invested in infrastructure and getting the city permits. And they now have like real running water and plumbing and they've been operating for probably like seven or eight years. If we had done careful planning and had said, okay, we're going to get a ton of capital and we're going to be able to, you know, go through the city permitting process, then maybe there, maybe it would have been a different story because it was possible to have a successful restaurant in that location, just not the way that we were doing it at the time. Jenny and Alex were quick to jump back into a project of their own until it came pretty quickly after the end of Goods. I was doing private, so the idea was born out of the fact that I was working in someone's home. They wanted me to wear a uniform, and I felt that the uniforms that were available did not make me feel good. And I was working for a very high-profile family and making a good amount of money as a chef. And I wanted to feel cool. I wanted to feel like... I was proud to be a chef and everybody that you told, oh, I'm a chef, they're like, oh, wow, it's such a cool job. And you're like, well, I look like a damn clown. Like, why, why do these clothes not reflect that idea and the way that I should feel about my job? And when we started looking, nobody was doing it. It was truly just a commodity product. And probably by the summer of 2011, we were testing our first sort of samples. I was running and doing sewing lessons in between lunch and dinner shifts and we toyed with it until until we officially launched, which was November of 12. So between the summer of 2011 and November in 2012, they did everything to build a business that they had not done with goods. You know, you always say, you know, that there's always lessons to be learned, right, from failure. But in this case, it was, you know, 100% true. Like we, you know, we did our diligence on planning. We were very, very risk averse and, you know, invested very little, as little money as possible as we could to sort of test the idea. And um, I think without goods, we wouldn't have been successful necessarily in, in the follow through and the ideation of, of what till it is today. They started with just two aprons, a pair of chef pants, and a chef shirt. Now, seven years later, they have a bunch of different styles of pants, shirts, jackets, aprons, accessories, and they're proud of the fact that their staff have all come from restaurants. Early in 2019, they decided to add another thing to their plate, and this is how I first heard their story. They started a podcast. Hi, and welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I'm Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McQuarrie. And if you are just tuning Opening in Soon hours. takes you through all the ins and outs of opening and running a restaurant through interviews with some of the leading chefs, entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, and food business owners in the industry. You didn't even realize until we were in the process of starting Tillit and the e-combas of how much info and how much support and how many great books on business leadership and entrepreneurship and accounting and all the different things that go into starting your e-com biz. And you go to, you know, the local bookstore and there's aisles of business books. Then there's not a single one for restaurants. 
And yet there's tons and tons of restaurants and everybody that is trying to open a restaurant for the most part has been working in restaurants for years. So they haven't been sitting in school or going to get their master's degree or, um, or any of those things necessarily. So they don't have that knowledge and it's just not out there. And I think trying to like sort of change that and, and play some little part in that, you know, I think we try with Tillit to obviously we're selling a product to the industry. So we try and through the other things that we do to give back to the industry in some way and to be part of it in sort of a cyclical way rather than just like feeling like we're just taking from the industry. So that was important to us is to try and not necessarily through our own experience, yeah. but through our own failure to talk to people who have done really, really great things and have them share. So it's not really like, it's not like us sharing all this advice. It's us asking the right people to share their advice. And I think one thing we've learned is that people are a great resource, but like having, having somebody to go to in a consolidated fashion is sort of hard to find. So, you know, one of the things that we hear over and over again is like, how do you get advice? Well, we just ask people. So I feel like there, we felt like there wasn't like a really good resource of this is us asking people from soup to nuts of how do you open a restaurant? And, you know, what if you don't have access to a great lawyer at first, like, can you hear some legal advice? Or what if you don't have great access to somebody in marketing and, you know, marketing wasn't a strong part of your training, you know, here's a resource talking about restaurants. Um, so that's really where opening soon came, came from is that we just wanted it to be a good resource for the industry after we didn't have any. No desire to open another restaurant. I think there would be, I don't think I would do it again at this point. I think I would do it for, for enjoyment or I think that we would potentially jointly invest in someone that was doing something really amazing and fun. Again, not to make money. And we've talked about that this season on our, on our podcast was that most investors aren't in it to make, make a buck. They're, they're making dividends and, but mostly they're, you know, supporting something that they really like in their neighborhood. I could, I could see that. Yeah, for I us could definitely point. see that too. I would invest in one. I don't think I would, I would personally. I still have the need for redemption left in there somewhere. Alex talks about retiring and opening a pizza shop. So we'll taco see. Shop. A taco shop now? Come on. Oh, okay. Al's, <laughs> Al's, Al's Pizza and Tacos coming at you. Uh, I don't pizza know. Pizza and tacos. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're off I'm the team. I'm just kidding. Choose your partners. I know. If you haven't listened to Opening Soon, I would highly recommend it. I'm linking to it in the show notes. If opening a restaurant or even just running a restaurant is your thing, it's incredibly helpful. Check it out. We have an episode about staging coming up later in the season, and I want to hear what you think about it. I know it's a really contentious subject right now, so send me some thoughts at hello at copperandheat.com. If you haven't already done it, hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. Then you can keep up with all of our new episode releases throughout the season. Also, if you could do me a little favor while you're there, leave us a review, please. It definitely helps us a lot. Overhead, the second season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna, and Ricardo Osuna. Our story editor is Rachel Palmer. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at hello at Copper and Heat or check out our website, copperandheat.com. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.